Whenever you take preaching classes at seminary, they, they teach you how to craft a sermon. And you're, you're taught that a, a sermon is like a house. The living room is where the preaching takes place, the exposition of the passage takes place, like in a living room setting. And any illustrations that you use are like windows that the illustrations illumine the exposition, the conversation that's going on. And if you have too many windows, it can be distracting. If you have too few windows, it's a little dark. You need to be illumined. And they say that the introduction of the sermon is like the front porch of the house. It's where you greet the listeners. It's where you invite them into the house to listen to the exposition, to visit. So you want the introduction to be warm and inviting and you want people to listen. For example, if a stranger shows up and maybe you're here for the first time and you're you're on the front porch, am I going to listen or not? And so you're, you're on the front porch, you're, you're not very brief, you don't just say, get in the house. Or you're not too long, you don't want a real long introduction because if you're out there on the front porch forever, people are wondering, why doesn't he invite me into the house? So it needs to be crafted just right. So you're taught to craft the introduction carefully and intentionally and work hard to make the front porch very inviting, which hopefully I just did. <laughs> this morning, we're looking at the introduction to the greatest sermon ever preached. Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. And how he crafted the introduction is fascinating. He really didn't craft it the way that you think he would. The front porch of Jesus' sermon has been referred to uh, in, the, in the Latin by the Latin word beati, which means blessed, from which we get the word beatitudes. And that was his front porch. Listen to what he said, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This morning, I want us to look carefully at how Jesus introduced the greatest sermon ever preached. 
Now, if you want to summarize what Jesus said, I would summarize it by saying it is initiation into the kingdom. It's the invitation into the kingdom of God. A lot of scholars have said that, that if you're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, the introduction, that's the salvation experience. That's you coming to know God. That, that's you giving your life and having a relationship with the Creator. That is the beginning of your relationship. It's the, it's the salvation. There is a certain kind of attitude and spirit by which you must become a Christian that is contrite and repentant and lowly and humble. Now, if you and I were going to invite someone into the kingdom, how would you do it? You're a Christian, and you're wanting to invite somebody else to be a Christian. What would you say? Oh, it's the best life ever. I mean, you, you feel forgiven, and you feel free, and, and, and I mean, it's, it's wonderful. You enjoy coming to church, and you enjoy the things of God, and, and you have someone to give you guidance and walk with you. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, you, you're, you can live your best life now. That's not what he said. In fact, he said the opposite. If you want to come into the kingdom, here are eight conditions nobody wants. But you're blessed. Interesting. So in this sermon introduction, I, I want us to look at, there are eight attitudes or beatitudes boil down to one imperative or a command. Eight beatitudes, one command. Let's look at them. First of all, letter A on your outline, eight beatitudes. Now, these eight beatitudes are like the multifacets of a diamond. But I like to think of it like this. I like to think of it like a wheel. And you have a hub right in the middle, and you have eight spokes going out all the way that make up the spokes in the wheel. So the eight spokes are the Beatitudes, and the one imperative or command is the hub. You had that picture. Let's now look at the, at the eight spokes to the wheel, the Beatitudes. Notice, first of all, the Beatitudes, it begins with the word blessed. You'll see it on, your, on the screen here. It's the word makaros in Greek. It, it means happy. But we think of happy as a little different than they used it. More than happy, it's more fortunate or well-off. Blessed, the first word of the first nine verses this morning, is the word blessed. You are in a fortunate position if you have these eight things that are part of your life. Now, I want you to notice something else about the word makaros. We'll look at it on the screen here once again. Notice it is a position, not an emotion. We think of happy or blessed. That's an emotion. Oh, I feel so happy. I feel so blessed. No, no, it's not your emotion of how you feel. It's your position. And look also, it is a congratulatory phrase. Congratulations. You are poor in spirit. Congratulations, you're mourning. Congratulations, you're blessed. 
Now, I want us to look very carefully at these eight spokes on the wheel, the Beatitudes, and listen carefully to what Jesus told us. Number one, the poor in spirit, verse 3. Blessed are they poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The word poor there means beggarly. It means publicly poor, so a public beggar. A public beggar can give nothing. That person is dependent upon the generosity of someone else. So Jesus said, you don't come into the kingdom. Yours is not the kingdom of heaven by being rich in spirit, but by being poor in spirit. Not that you can give God anything, but that you are someone in need, the generosity of somebody else. You offer nothing to God. I don't either. We're poor. We're publicly beggars. You pull up to the traffic light. There's someone standing there with a cardboard sign. You don't know, do I give them anything? Do I not give them anything? You don't want to make eye contact. You just look straight ahead. That beggar holding the sign is you, spiritually. You offer God nothing. And you and me, we're the ones dependent upon the gratitude of somebody else. Poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. But look at number two. Blessed are those who mourn, verse 4, for they shall be comforted. Now, whenever we think of somebody mourning, we think of somebody who's at a loss. In fact, in the video, did you notice about the, right before I started preaching, did you notice in the video when it said, blessed are those who mourn, and it showed a, a, a lady beside a grave? That's not what it's talking about here. It's not blessed are those who mourn because they've lost something. It's blessed are those who mourn over their own sinfulness, for they shall be comforted. You see, not many people mourn over their sinfulness. Not very many people look at their sins and say, oh God, I have sinned against you and I've gone against what you've commanded and I am so sorry and I turn from that. Most of the time whenever we sin, we don't mourn over it, we justify it. Well, you know, that's may, that may not be what the passage talks about here. I mean, okay, when it says that, you know, about homosexuality, that may be talking about child abuse rather than homosexuality. And, you know, we reinterpret it. We don't mourn over it. But, folks, you're not blessed when you justify it. You're blessed when you mourn over it. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin, for they shall be comforted. And the word comfort is paraclete, the same word for Holy Spirit, the comforter. Blessed are those who mourn because the Holy Spirit will come right alongside of you. Not when you justify it, 
we grieve over it. Number three, the meek, verse five. The third spoke in the wheel, blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Now, whenever I hear the word meek, I think of the word weak. A meek person, in my mind, is a weak person. If you say, oh, they're so meek, I think of somebody kind of mousy, uh, pitiful, can't stand up for themselves, people run over them, they're pushover, kind of anemic looking. That's not meek. In fact, the word meek is the word for a stallion that's bridled, harnessed. So the word meek is power, sheer power that's controlled and bridled. Blessed are those people who have the power to do something and they don't. The power to get revenge and they don't. Blessed are those people. They will inherit the earth. And of all the ways Jesus could have described himself, he described himself as meek. For I am meek and lowly in heart. Power. The power to call down fire from heaven, and he doesn't. Blessed are those people who have power, but they restrain themselves. They'll inherit the earth. Go to number four, verse six. The fourth spoke in the wheel, those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Not a hunger and a thirst for food. We know that. We're really hungry. We're really thirsty. We know that basic inner drive of hunger and thirst. He's not talking about that. He, he uses the same food and drink metaphors, but it's a basic inner desire of hungering and thirsting for the things of God. Righteousness. Hunger and thirst for what's right. Do you? Do you hunger and thirst for God's Word? Do you hunger and thirst to be in church where we gather together and sing together and hear God's Word together? Do you hunger and thirst for the things of God and righteousness? If you do, he said you'll be filled. And the word filled there means gorged, stuffed, how I feel after a fish restaurant. <laughs> Full, can't hardly walk to the car. Abundantly blessed. If you hunger and thirst for right, you'll be gorged. And look at the next one, number five. The merciful, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. That which you extend 
you get back. Now, remember what mercy is. Mercy and grace are different. Grace is unmerited favor, but, but mercy is not getting what you deserve. You deserve punishment, you don't get it. It's mercy. You deserve to be exiled, you're not. That's mercy. You deserve to be punished for sins, you're not. That's mercy. And so Jesus said, if you are merciful, you'll receive mercy. If there are people in your life that, that you forgive you'll be forgiven. But we don't like that. We want God's mercy and we want God's forgiveness, but we want to hold a grudge. We don't want to forgive. Somebody has hurt us or somebody's hurt our kids especially. I I can forgive somebody. I can forgive them hurting me more than I can someone hurting my child. And you don't forgive, but you want God to forgive you? That's not what he said. Blessed are those who extend mercy when it's not earned or not expected or not even asked for. You'll receive mercy. So this morning, there may be some of you that need to forgive somebody else, and you don't want to, and so you're not. Okay, God doesn't forgive you either. Is it worth it? Blessed are those who extend mercy. They'll receive it. Good number six, the pure in heart, verse eight. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, whenever you hear somebody say, oh, oh, they're pure in heart, we think of genuine. Well, they're, they're very sincere. Oh, they're just a pure soul. What are you saying? Oh, they're just so innocent. That's not what the word pure means here. It doesn't mean genuine. doesn't mean sincere. It means clean. The word pure here is the word catharsis. Catharos. We get the word catheter from it. A catheter takes toxins off of your body and makes you pure when your body can't do it. And so catharos means a pure heart. Your heart has been cleansed. And you get to see God. Folks, you can't see God with a dirty heart. It's got to be clean. It's got to be purified. It's got to be catharos. The toxins need to go. You can't do it. And so that's why we say you have to come to Christ. You have to repent of your sins. You have to pray to receive Jesus and let the blood of Jesus Christ cleanse you and cleanse your heart because you'll never see God unless your heart's pure. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Did you notice something about verse 8? It's the first time the name God is mentioned. Eight verses. 
He doesn't mention God in a sermon. And for the first time, it's God. You will see God. Look at verse 7, or number 7, verse 9. The peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Now, a lot of times, this peacemaking has been interpreted for those people who espouse world peace. Did you notice in the video again, whenever it says, blessed are the peacemakers, it showed two people look like they were protesting for peace. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about protesting for world peace or, or, or being against wars or being a pacifist. He's not saying that. I'm, I'm for world peace, but that's just not what the passage is talking about. It's talking about peace with God individually and peace with one another individually. So blessed are you if you seek peace with God and peace with other people. You're peacemaker. So blessed are you. You will be called sons of God, which is a term of adoption. If you're a peacemaker, peace with God and peace with others, God will adopt you into his family. Now look at number 8, verses 10 and 11. The persecuted. The persecuted, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Persecuted means to chase. It means to run after. It means to pursue. Blessed are you when other people chase after you, run after you, angry at you because you're a Christian. Because you want to do what's right. And folks, in our culture today, if you take a stand for what's right, if you take a stand for what God has said, there will be people that get angry at you, mad at you, chase after you, pursue you. And Jesus said, if that's you, you're blessed. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, did you notice something there that this introduction begins and ends with theirs is the kingdom of God. Back in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of God. At the end, verse 10, blessed are the persecuted, theirs is the kingdom of God. And you have the bookends of coming into the kingdom, initiation into the kingdom. But something happens in verse 11. Look carefully. He no longer says, blessed are thee. He says, blessed are you. What changed? He goes from third person to second person. What changed? You remember last week we were talking about the setting of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was up on the mountain. The crowd was here. Disciples here. And it says, the Bible says, whenever he saw the crowd, he taught the disciples. He taught them. And if you remember, we saw last week of how the sermon was kind of like Jesus saw the crowd, began teaching the disciples. So it's as if he began the sermon preaching to the crowd. Blessed are you, blessed are, blessed are the, thee, blessed are thee, those. And now he turns, blessed are you to the disciples, specifically. Those 12. Blessed are you, Peter. Blessed are you, James. Blessed are you, Nathaniel. When others revile you, it means to taunt. When others persecute you, it means to chase. 
when all kind of evil is set against you falsely, slander for my sake, you're blessed. And then he goes to the imperative. Letter B on your outline, one imperative. It's the hub of the wheel. Eight spokes. It's the hub. It's a command. Imperative is a command. So here's the very first command Jesus gives you in the whole sermon. Listen carefully. Here it is. It's what he's commanding you to do. Rejoice. Rejoice. Be glad. Life's hard. Be glad. Be exceedingly glad. Why? Two reasons he gives us. Number one, your reward is great in heaven. And number two, you're just like the prophets, the Old Testament. Remember them? They persecuted them. They were God's spokesmen. God blessed them, and they were persecuted. You're just like the prophets. Ezekiel, just like him. Daniel, just like him. Isaiah, just like him. Jeremiah, weeping prophet, just like him. Zechariah, Micah, Hosea, just like them. They persecuted them. They'll persecute you. Rejoice. Be glad. You have a reward in heaven. And you're just like the prophets. You're in the same boat as them. Now, folks, it's not been my experience. I'll be honest with you. It has not been my experience that when people are persecuted, or they mourn, or they're poor in spirit, they do not rejoice. In fact, they get rather depressed. Christians, they get discouraged, they get down, they get sad. Woe is me, because the Christian life is not exciting and fun. I'm being persecuted, and this is happening, and I'm in, I'm in eight different conditions nobody wants. They don't rejoice. They're discouraged. They rejoice when life's good. Oh, praise God, he's good. Life is good. Life is fun. They're happy. Relationships are good. School's going great. Work is good. Their health is good. Everybody likes them. Finances are great. Paying the bills. Get a front row parking lot and a fire wheel. Life is good. God is so good. They rejoice when things are good. He said rejoice when things are bad. Why? Great reward in heaven. You're in the same boat as the prophets. Be glad. Wow, what an introduction to the sermon. Not what I'd expect him to say. But now let me summarize it for you. Let me summarize all eight Beatitudes by what they literally mean in the Greek language. Listen carefully. You're in a good place when you are dependent upon somebody else's generosity. You're in a good place when you mourn over your sin because the Holy Spirit will come alongside of you. You're in a good place when you harness the power you have and you don't use it for bad. You're in a good place when your basic inner drive is for God and the things of God because you'll be gorged. 
You're in a good place when you get back mercy because you've extended mercy. And you're in a good place when your heart is cleansed and you can see God. And you're in a good place when you make peace with God and peace with others because he'll come along and adopt you into his family. And you're in a good place when people chase you and hunt you and attack you because you're a Christian. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. You have a reward in heaven and you're in the same boat as the prophets. Wow. A while back, I was, um, I was looking at a, at a website. It's called positivepsychology.com. Secular website, obviously. And they asked the question, how do you live the good life? I thought, oh, this sounds interesting. What is the good life and how do you live it? And so in the article, Joan Ash said, begin with the philosophers, what they said. Socrates said about how do you live the good life by self-mastery and fitting into a community. Okay. Plato said by regulating your behavior and fitting into a community. And oh, by the way, it's the job of the state to provide you conditions to fit into the community. Aristotle said to develop your intellect and develop your virtues. That's how you live the good life. Immanuel Kant said exercise reason and live morally. Okay. Martin Seligman says, foster positive emotions and live with meaning. Okay. So the website article boiled it all down and said, here's how you live the good life. Three ways. You clarify your goals, you invest in your strengths, and you develop high-quality relationships. And you will be living the good life. Jesus would disagree. In order to live the good life, he said, even when you don't find yourself in happy circumstances, you're in a good place when you're in the kingdom. And when the kingdom's your priority, you're in a good position. So folks, over the course of the next 15 weeks, when you hear some hard things, and you're going to hear some hard things, over the course of the next 15 weeks, when you hear the hard things, rejoice. You're in a good place with heaven in front of you and God behind you. You're in a good place.